0: great start to the day so far even you know, as soon as I walked in this morning it seemed like everybody was in a good mood and laughing and joking and uh, just having a good time and it's just uh it's really cool because that's the you know the message that I want to convey today what I want to teach about is uh there's a lot about that how we're uh, how we're called together to uh to work together but also to celebrate together to enjoy things you know God has really blessed us by putting us in this community and uh it's, uh, it's just a wonderful thing to see the, the joy that, that people are feeling right now. Uh, so with that, I want to pray uh, before I get started, and then we'll, we'll get into this, uh, uh, this message here today. Father, I thank you uh, for this opportunity to come together and, and learn from your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that, uh, that our ears are open and our hearts are open to receive it, that it would uh, cultivate a sense of joy inside of us, regardless of what we're facing. Lord, we know that you've chosen us, that you've picked us, and you've placed us according to your will and according to your purpose. So, Lord, I pray that, uh, that the message, the words that are shared today bring you glory, and that, uh, that by us receiving them, uh, that our lives would bring you glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, uh, how many of you guys like to be part of a team? And when I say a team, I mean a team that, that comes together together, uh, much like, you know, the, with a sense of joy, you know, it's, you want to be part of this team. You want to be uh, involved with the people on this team, and you want to see an end goal accomplished, uh, something met. Uh, uh, most of us would say that, yes, you know, if we can feel that we're an integral part of a team, you know, a part of uh, something bigger than ourselves, and we can see the goals being met, see the things accomplished that we set out to do, it's a great sense of encouragement. Um, some of those things are something that we remember for the rest of our life, but I think of you know, a lot of sports teams. You know, People get on a sports team, one, because they like the sport, and secondly, because they know that with a good team, they can accomplish that goal. Um, I'm a little demented, I guess, and you probably owe it to my dad. Uh, one of the best teams that I remember being on was actually, actually uh, revolved around work. Um, I've told a lot of you guys a story, but when uh, Sarah and I lived down around the Cincinnati area, that was tobacco country. Uh, They still raise tobacco, uh, which is the most labor-intensive crop that I've ever seen. Everything from start to finish is handwork, you know, from planting it by hand to weeding it, cultivating it by hand, to uh, breaking the tops out. You know, when it starts to flower, they actually have to walk down every row and break the tops out, all done by hand. And then comes harvesting, which is requires a great team to do efficiently and effectively. It starts out, we have a bundle of sticks and we walk every other row dropping tobacco sticks, they're about four foot long, every other row dropping these sticks end to end. So if one goes from there to here, I drop the next one from there to there, every other row all the way through these fields. So if you have a five acre uh, field of tobacco, it's a huge field. After the sticks are dropped, you cut it by hand with a little hatchet looking thing, and you put the six to eight stalks per tobacco stick. Then when that's all done, you grab a tractor and a wagon and you load all these by hand. Then you take them to the barn and you unload them by hand and you hang them in the rails by hand. Um, One of my greatest memories from that time down there was working for a family, it was the Neal family. We had five acres of tobacco and bad weather was coming. We had a weekend to get this in. 17 men, and then their wives. We all got together, and we accomplished this goal in one weekend. We met adversity along the way. We had breakdowns. We had people that uh, you know almost they got exhausted from the heat, you know, because this is harvested right about Labor Day. But we met these adversities. We overcame them, and we encouraged one another. We worked together to put this whole five acres in. And when we were done, you know what happened? Absolutely, we celebrated. We got everything in and we had a huge feed and we spent a lot of the evening coming together celebrating with one another. Because as a team we came together and we met this end goal. That's what the local church is supposed to be. Okay? It's a local assembly gathered together in response to God's call to serve and worship Him. Serve Him. That's our goal. That's what we're doing. That's what, how we act. And worship him. That's celebrating what he's doing in our lives as we we seek him together, as we go after the things that he's called us to do. We're a team with a purpose, and our goal is to glorify him. We're gathered to do life with one another, to, to overcome the adversities and to also celebrate what he's doing in our lives. Think about what he's doing. Think about what he's done in our lives this week. We've got Bruce and Ashley that just welcomed Everly into the world, and Julianne and Danny and Catalina. These are things that we should be celebrating as a community, and I know we are, you know, and, but praise God for that. You know, we see these things happening. This is great. Um, but we recognize that it's God that's doing this. That's what the church is about. We're recognizing that God's doing this. Uh, I want to uh, go to 1 Peter today. And that's where I want to teach from. And hopefully we can pull these lessons about this community, this celebrating, this working together, this uh, um, it's just doing life together. And hopefully we can pull these, uh, these lessons out of this, uh, this text. First of all, I want to set up the book of First Peter. First Peter, as it says in 1 Peter 1.1, it says, to those who are elect exiles in dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, in Bithynia. So Peter is writing to the local church. He is writing to groups of Christians scattered about. Uh, nobody knows for sure exactly the year that this book was written, uh, nor the location that Peter was writing from, but the best guess, you know, the, the big scholars, the guys who really know this, are think that he's writing from Rome and he's writing to the outskirts of the Roman Empire. Okay? So he's in the city, and he's seeing what's going on, and he's writing to the, uh, the churches that are scattered out among the, uh, the, among the countryside. So at that time, the persecution of the Christians is starting to ramp up. Okay? So Peter recognizes this. This is probably going to happen just like around here. You know, these things happen in the cities first. And then moves out to the countryside. So, you know, what happens in California, where there's a big populace, or what happens in New York, finally, you know, works its way to us. So, Peter sees this persecution that's happening, and he's writing to the churches that are scattered about. And I love how he starts this letter. It starts with the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. He's saying, Set your mind on these things. Remember, that we are born again to a living hope. But he also then goes on, this letter is extensive, talking about suffering. So he starts with the hope and then says the suffering and how we're to act in the midst of it. So as Peter sees this persecution coming, and he's thinking about that, and I'm sure that the words that are in his mind Uh, are also from John chapter 15. You don't have to turn there, I'll read it. But it says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me. This is Jesus speaking. Before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word... They will also keep yours. So Peter is writing to these churches that are on the outskirts of Rome because he sees the persecution coming. And he also is writing because he sees, he knows that this is bound to happen. He has the words right from our Savior saying, hey, this is going to happen. Don't let it come as a surprise to you. He's encouraging them and how to act in the light of this. He's encouraging them and saying that Pull together as, as a group. Pull together and stand on the promises that God has revealed to you through Christ. The, verses, the passage I want to look at today is Peter, uh, 1 Peter 2, 9-12. I'm going to read this, and I don't want to go through and teach it, and we'll pull out some applications from it. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So, how many of you guys? You guys all got the leaflet. Okay, this is kind of my outline. This is what I, I want to work with as we uh, as we go through this. You know, there's a question and there's an answer. There's four things I believe we can pull out of here clearly. A lot more if we dig deeper, but definitely four things we can. First of all. Who are we? Verses 9 and 11 says that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Peter's using a lot of Old Testament language here to describe who we are as God's people. Uh, most Most of the people would have been familiar with this. They would have remembered that this comes from Isaiah, and this comes from Exodus, where God is talking about His people about the Israelites and how he has called them to do special things, how he has called them and set them apart. All of these characteristics have something very they have something in common is that they are all unique. There's nothing like it. A chosen race. We're chosen, we're picked on purpose. This should be a sense a source of encouragement for every one of us sitting here who knows Christ is that we are chosen. We serve a perfect God. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Nothing. The Lord Almighty picked you. He chose you. He doesn't make mistakes. It's not random. Even when we walk through a grocery store, we don't just walk through and randomly pull stuff off the shelf, right? There's always a reason. There's always a purpose. So in Christ, we find that purpose. God chose us for that purpose. But you do pick stuff just randomly? There is a purpose, yeah. So we're unique in every every way. And I also want to say, uh, a chosen race. Okay, Uh, Just think about that. As we think of the different people groups around the world, right? If I were to take people of, uh, of African descent, of Oriental descent, of European descent up here, you could identify them. Right? I'm, I'm not being racist or prejudiced or anything, but there are differences. You can identify them. That's, his, that's what Peter's saying about the Christians here. They should be identifiable as different, as standing out. He says you're a royal priesthood. Think about royalty. What comes with royalty? Great privilege, great honor, respect. Respect. And the priesthood, what were the priests to do in the Old Testament? They were the ones that went before God on the people's behalf. As a royal priesthood, we are heirs with Christ. We are called to share in the glory that is His right now on the throne. And as a priesthood, we have the ability to come before God. Because of what Christ did for us, we can go before God. We can present sacrifices, our own sacrifices, a holy nation. To holy is to be set apart for God's use. We are called to reflect God's holy character. As He called us and He made us His people, we reflect God's holy character in our lives. I love that the way the, uh, Dan and I were talking about this this morning, uh, the King James Version says that uh, a peculiar people in your ESV where it says a, a people set apart for his own possession, in the King James Version it says a peculiar people. That speaks to us standing out in the crowd. It's peculiar, it's different, it's, it's out of the ordinary. In verse 11 it says we're sojourners and exiles. As we're that peculiar people, as we're the people that stand out in the crowd, we also recognize the reason we stand out in this crowd, right? Is because we, we're moving on. We belong to something better. We've, we're moving through to a better home. So first in your uh, lessons here is who are we? Is We are God's people. And that should permeate everything that we do. The second question is what are we to do? Which is also spelled out very plainly in these, uh, in these verses. We're to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us. We're to live worshipful lives. Like Pastor was saying this morning, our worship is more than just gathering here and singing songs on Sunday morning. Our worship should be every aspect of our lives. Our worship should be the way we work our jobs, the way we love our family. Uh, Romans 12.1 says, uh, let me turn here so I don't butcher it up. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Every part of what we do should be worshipful to God. We abstain from the passions of the flesh. We keep our conduct pure and honorable, as it says in uh, verse 11 there. This is increasingly difficult as we live in this world that's moving farther and farther away from God. Most of us can recognize that with uh, just turning on the TV. If we turn on the TV and we have uh, what Scripture teaches us how to live in the back of our minds, we understand that there's a, there's a battle, there's a fight that's going on. But in the Allelan series, pastor used the, the word that our belief determines our behavior. Right? You guys remember that? Anybody remember that? Um, If we start with what we know as we are God's people, we are God's chosen people, we are set apart, we are different, if we fully believe that, then overcoming these things that the world is thrown at us becomes a a lot more doable. It's still going to be a fight. It's still going to be hard. But when we fully believe that God has chosen us, When we fully believe that God has called us to proclaim His excellencies and that He's the God that nobody can stop, then these actions become a lot easier. So what do we do? We're to live differently. We're called to live differently. We're called to stand out. If we believe that we should stand out, our actions should dictate that. So that was question number two. We are to live differently. Our third question, our motivation. Think about verse 9. He says, He has brought us into His marvelous light. It's only in the light that we can see. We need this light to show us what He's done for us. It's in the light that we're awakened. We can see how separated we once were from God and that He's illuminated that for us. He has brought us out of that darkness into the light That we can see that we have salvation in Him. It's only in the light that we can see, as it says, coming through here in verse 10, it says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. It's in the light that we can see that He chose you and put you here among these people for a reason. Without that light, you don't know that you need the people in this room to help you bear your burdens. Without that light, you don't know that you were separated, that you were alienated. It's only in that light that we can see that we were dead and that by by God's choosing, He brought us to life. It says, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God has showed us His mercy. God has revealed Himself to us through Jesus Christ who though while we were still sinners, died for us. He gave His life for us. That's mercy. Mercy has given us far and above what we deserve or not given us what we do deserve, and He called us to that. It's only in the light that we walk in and only in the light, as, as I stated in, this, uh, in the beginning here, when Peter writes to these churches, he starts out, The first pericope says, born again to a living hope. It's only in the light that we can see that we do have this living hope. What's our motivation? Our motivation is gratitude. Gratitude that He did choose us. Gratitude that He he called us out of darkness. Gratitude that He gave us life. Gratitude that He stepped away from heaven and gave His life on the cross on our behalf. Then the outcome, the outcome is that God is glorified by our great deeds. It says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Through this verse here, I questioned this verse when I, when I started studying for this. Um, something I want to point out here. It's really cool how uh, we glorify God by our good deeds. God created us to be a team. God created us to live in relationship with one another. As we went through the Alaylon series, right, we have uh, serve one another. What was it, the little sweeper? Love one another, serve one another, welcome one another, encourage one another. We need each other to do these things. We face a struggle, but by this struggle, God is glorified when we act on these things. It says, Keep keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. When I first read this, I was thinking that the day of visitation meant final judgment. Which, when you go through this, it could mean the day of final judgment. When Christ comes back to judge all the world, and people are realizing that, yes, the church was serving God. The church was where God was evident. But this can also mean on the day of a visitation. This could mean that the people living outside of our community that are speaking evil against us, that are talking bad about us, that when God visits them, the light bulb goes off. And they say, no, God really is among them. When they give glory to God on the day of visitation might be the day of their surrendering to Christ. It might be the day that they're regenerated. It might be the day that they're saved because of witnessing the way we love and serve and encourage and pray for one another. So you think about a team with a goal, with a purpose. Our purpose is to glorify God. What better way to do that than to live as a family together, to live as a people called by God to to encourage one another, to serve one another, and let His glory move and be shown to an unsaved world. That's what the church is all about. As I said, there's a battle. We can look at this verse and we can see the battles that we face We fight against three things. How many, does anybody know what the three things are? The, The world, the flesh, and the devil. Of which we can see all three of these things from this passage. The world, Peter writes that they are among the Gentiles. This is in Rome at the height of their debauchery. Okay. Their uh, prostitution is running rampant. Um, they're killing people for entertainment. And they say it's okay. You know, with a whole list of other things. And Peter's telling them, you've got to fight this. This is not the way that things should be. The flesh... He says, Keep your, um, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. The passions of the flesh. Like I said, there's all kinds of things going on there. And I want to think, think about our own world. Think about what's going on in our own world and how we need to remove ourselves from some of the things that are going on here. We make idols out of everything, whether it's uh, uh, sports stars or our activities or everything. We tend to follow those things. We want to follow those things. We want to go after those. Our world tells you to do anything but deny your own desires, right? Our world tells us to go after our own desires. That's the same thing that they were facing. That's the same thing we're facing. It's, it's really the, the same battle. And then, of course, the devil. It says, so that when they speak against you as evildoers... It doesn't matter how stoic we are, how hardened we are. When somebody speaks against us, it stings, right? And the devil wants to work on us. How do we react to that? Can we shake that off and go about it? Or are we going to retaliate? It's a spiritual battle. There's the world that's speaking evil against the church, speaking evil against us. That's happening right now. There's people speaking evil against the church. How do we combat that? How do we fight that? What do we do? Peter clearly writes right here, it's by your good deeds. He says when they speak evil against you, he doesn't say, get up on your podium and shout back at them. He says, by good deeds. What are our good deeds? That's the whole eleon principle that we just went through. That's, That's our good deeds. Our good deeds are proclaiming the excellencies of Him who called us. Our good deeds are living worshipful lives of, of service to God and service to one another. Our service to one another is service to God. That's what He's called us to do. Our belief determines our behavior. Do we fully believe that Christ has called us? Do we fully believe that we are that part of that chosen people. I do. As we finish up here today, you know, a pastor was talking about church membership, and that, that's a member, matter of church policy. That's what we believe as a local church, which I think is crucially important. But as we leave here today, look around. God has placed you here, He has chosen you, He has called you to be His people, which is plural. All of us in here, if we have put our trust in Christ, we are Christ. uh, We are heirs with Christ and we are His people. We're called to live life together. So, as people speak evil about us, don't combat it with retaliation, combat it by loving one another the way God has called us to do it. Something that stuck with me through this whole time preparing for this message was question number forty-eight from the New City Catechism. Does anybody remember that? Is what is the church? Okay. At the end of that answer, it says that the church is gathered together, and God sends them out to proclaim the gospel and prefigure Christ's kingdom by the quality of their life together and their love for one another. That is something that is profound, when you think about that. Christ says that He's going to return. Do you believe that? Is that dictating your behavior? Christ says that He has called you to love one another as He has loved us. Do you believe that? Christ tells us that we're moving on to an eternal home that's heaven, where there's no more pain and there's no more suffering. There's praise and there's worship of God for everything that He's done. Do you believe that? If when we believe that, we act like the church together. And are, as we share that with one another, as we encourage that, one another with that, we are prefiguring Christ's kingdom. How can the outside world look in at that and not be excited about it? God is glorified when we do that, and that might be when He visits them. So uh, in closing, I want to pray and I just want to ask God to, uh, to reveal that to us. How can we do that better for one another? How can we proclaim His excellencies by following His commands and living together in this way? Father, we thank You for this, uh, this day as we, uh, as we pull apart this Word. Lord, I pray that, uh, uh, that the words that, that were shared uh, just have a lasting impact, Lord, that, that, that You that. We can focus on what You say about us, what You've said to us, how You've chosen us, how You've picked us. We can rest on that and believe that. And that would dictate our actions. Lord, let Your truth well up in our hearts so profoundly that we can't help but act upon it. Lord, I pray that as we see these elements of of being a church rise up within us, Lord, I'm so encouraged by by the things that I do see, how we see people getting engaged in discipleship, we see people engaged in, in activities and along the, in the church. Lord, I pray that that would be an increasing every day. Lord, I pray that You would call us, that You would, uh, that you would use us for Your glory, that we could abstain from the passions of the flesh, that we would not react wrongly when people speak against us, but that we would seek after you and your will for our lives. Lord, bring about this change within our community, within our culture here, that people would be excited about the church, that it would be attracted to the way that we live together, that that if they would speak evil against us, that it would be unfounded because they can see our good works and our love for you as it shows through our love for one another. God, my prayer is that if there is anybody in here that does not know your son as their Savior, that does not know what this community depicts, what the hope is, Lord, I pray that, that you would open their heart today. Lord, I pray that they would seek counsel. Lord, I pray that they would seek you and that Lord, I know you're a faithful God. You will reveal yourself to them. Lord, we ask that uh, as we go out of here today that we can just bring you glory in all of our lives. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.